Hello again. Um, we are in uh, the, the ninth week of 10. Yes, summer, coming to a close. Uh, we are in the penultimate conversation in our teaching series on the Bible. You're welcome, penultimate. Take that home. And what we get to do is we've been having this conversation all summer long on the Bible, really trying to understand and get to the root of what the Bible is trying to tell you about you. So we built this entire series, 10 weeks long, on the idea that if we could just understand what God is trying to do, it would help us understand what we need to know about us. So we've been visiting our core text, a chunk of the Bible, one of the most famous, one of the most well-known, and visiting it and revisiting it week after week after week to see if we truly understand what it's trying to say. This core text is John 3, 16 through 17, in which Jesus said these words. He said, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And instead of that becoming just something that we know verbatim or know how to recite, what we want to know is what does that actually mean? So for the first five weeks of the teaching series, we walked through the old half of the Bible, the Old Testament, to see how God was setting the table for this plan. And now over the last three weeks and the next two coming, we're trying to understand how it came into action, how through Jesus Christ it came to fruition. If you've missed any of those conversations, they're all online at epiphanystation.com under the watch tab. Last week, Pete, one of our pastors, he led us in a conversation about Jesus' death, which he lovingly is going to allow me to follow up, because getting to follow up a conversation about Jesus' death is just so enthralling and enthusing. Now, when you have a conversation about why Jesus died, why he had to die, why it was so very necessary, what it can impose upon us as those of us who say we want to follow Jesus is a very real problem. Because the people that we are today were not so very different from the people back then. And the people back then thought that Jesus was going to walk with them forever, in person, in the flesh, telling them exactly what to do. And then it stopped. And then a question came, what's a church to do? What's a church to do when Jesus is not literally stood right next to you telling you how to follow him? And so that is the question we need to answer as the church today. What can a church do to make sure that it actually is the church that Jesus desires it to be? Because I think, just my small opinion, very small, very narrow-minded is, I think it's very easy for the church to get off track. I think it's absurdly easy for the church to lose its reason, to lose its purpose, and to become known for things it really never was supposed to have a part in. I mean, how is it today, if everything we've looked at through the entire story of God's plan so far, how is it that the church itself could be known as a big group of hypocrites? Like, where's the line of connection between everything God did, Jesus said, and a church that is judgmental, that is hostile, that is belligerent towards other people? How is it that the church could get so far off that it is known for its elitism, its cliquish, its clubbish mentality? How is it that the church could get so far off track? It forgets who leads the church. It forgets whose church it is, and it forgets what it's here to do. So the only thing I want to accomplish today, if you consider yourself to be a part of the church, that means you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then when you leave here today, I want you to know, not think, but know, when you leave here, what it actually means to intentionally be the church. How you as an individual person get to make steps towards being more like the church than we are today. When we go back to the story of Jesus' death, it didn't take long for the church to lose their mind. 
It didn't take long for the church to lose track and to forget who they were. In fact, it was just a couple of days. When we pick up the narrative after Jesus' death, it says on the Sunday evening, like the Sunday evening after Jesus' death, we find the disciples. We find his church, and they were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid of the people who had murdered Jesus. They were afraid that they would be murdered too. Suddenly in that room, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Let's put that into a little bit of context, shall we? These people, after following Jesus for a few years, maybe some for a few months, he's murdered. And we might think that it's unreasonable of them to be so afraid and to be so downtrodden and defeated, but they find themselves in what I think is probably the most reasonable response, is to go into hiding. They lock their doors, they bunker down, they close off against everything external, and they just try to stay alive. Like, can you even try and imagine the type of conversations going around the table right there and then? We followed Jesus. We said Jesus was the answer. They killed him for it. The the person who's supposed to be our best and brightest denied him three times in a row, not to mention any names, Peter. But we don't seem to be kind of stepping forward. We don't seem to be on the winning team. It seems like it's all done. And what's interesting is that it's right in that very moment where the church is maybe not at its worst, but not far off either, where Jesus walks in and says, peace be with you. The first words, as if to get to the very heart of the issue, is that they are not at peace with who they are. They're not at peace with what they believe. So he says, peace be with you. And then he goes on to prove that I'm still Jesus. As he spoke to them, he showed the wounds in his hands and his side, And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And then he said to them, peace be with you. And he added something to the end. He added a caveat. He said, peace be with you because (laughs) as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Peace be with you because just like what God did with me, I'm going to do with you. Now, Jesus isn't naive. He knows the the instance. He knows the circumstance that he's walking into. This is a whole room filled with people that are afraid. They have misgivings. They have doubts. They have hurts. They have brokenness. They have lostness. And Jesus walks into the room and does what Jesus does. Something that you can grow to love, something that often people hate, is he does not pander. He does not pander to the misgiving. He does not pander to the fear or the disbelief. He walks into the room and says, focus not on what you don't know, Don't go into lockdown. Don't go onto the back foot, but instead go outside. He tells them to go outside and do what they've called to do. And on that day alone, people heard the message of Jesus Christ, the good news, the good plan, and thousands of people believed it. Thousands of people were brought into the kingdom of heaven on that day. Something happened in which the church at its very worst was immediately gone from lockdown to tearing down the kingdom of darkness. And all that Jesus said to them was, I've got something for you to do. All he said was, what was my mission is now your mission. Here's how that comes into play with us. Is oftentimes I think and I see and I hear how we as individuals do not believe that we are the ones ready to be the church. We believe that, yes, we're on the receiving end of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's necessary, and we needed that. But there are so many things still undone 
still left unfixed, still left unchanged, still left unhealed. There are still weaknesses, there are still fears, there are misgivings, and there are doubts that stop us finding the very reason that we continue to draw breath. We become so very focused as individuals, as you as a man or a woman, you get focused so much on what you do not have, what has not been done, what you will never be able to accomplish. But when Jesus walked into the room to find the church as its worst, he did then what he does now. When we invite him in, he walks in and says, don't focus on what's not there. Focus on what is needed. Focus on what is necessary. Don't allow the church to forget its one and only goal. Because when Jesus shows up, his first conversation is, peace be with you, I'm still Jesus. Peace be with you, go and do what you're called to do. He doesn't do this in an expectation of our failure. He doesn't do this in an expectation that we would just forget our weaknesses, that we would just be blind to the things that are still not good. But he does it in such a way as to remind the church that, you know what, hunkering down isn't going to help. Locking the doors, bunkering yourself in against the rest of culture, against the rest of society, that will not help the church be who it is. And for a Christian, for a believer in Jesus Christ, it will not help you to take yourself out of the mission of the church. It will not help you to hide yourself. It will not help you to guard your very purpose away from what he destined you for. And so he desires to say to every single one of us, peace be with you. Peace be with you because I'm going to send you in the way that I was sent. And I've got to believe that that was hard to hear then for Jesus' church, as much as it is hard for us to hear now, that quite honestly, we forget. Quite honestly, and very, very regularly, we forget why we're here. There are so many other things that get in the way, and so we forget. We forget why we have relationships with one another. We forget the reason that we have friendship. We forget the reason for church. We forget the reason for our marriage. We forget the purpose for parenting and for raising children. We forget what it means to go to work and to accomplish and to create and to provide. We forget the reason we're here. And it might not be the case that we always forget, but there's a good chance that if you look back on your entire week, if you're part of the church, that there are moments you forgot. There are moments you forgot as when you treated someone with a harsh word. There were moments that you forgot when you made a decision. There were moments that you forgot when you did not know your purpose and you felt hopeless. You forgot who leads the church. And so it might be this afternoon that we forget again. It might be tomorrow. But I want us to play a game. For the rest of our time, the rest of our conversation, I want us to play a game and I want you to play along. I want you to play the game of pretending what it would be like if the church didn't forget why it's here. Like if the church didn't forget why Jesus came to earth. If the church didn't forget God's plan. What would it be like if on the daily and the hourly, minute by minute, we did not forget? What would the world look like? What would the church actually get into the news for? What would it be heard about throughout the entire world that it would be doing that it's not currently doing? And a bit more personal, what would it look like if you didn't forget? If you, as a self-proclaiming follower of Jesus Christ, if you say, I'm not going to forget, and you didn't forget why he's got you here, what he's called you to do, what would your life look like? Would you perhaps sell everything 
and then like, go into the mission field in the darkest corner of the earth? Perhaps. Would you, I don't know, talk to Jesus and talk to people about Jesus nonstop, over and over again, through every avenue and every facet you could come across? Perhaps. Would we look like the most ridiculous people on the face of the earth? Perhaps. But I wonder, I wonder if instead of often when we think about what it means to be the church of these flamboyant changes, those ostentatious changes, that it would be different. That if we truly lived like his mission was our mission, it wouldn't be so much on the outside. It wouldn't be so ostentatious. But something else would happen. Something else would change that would change us and change the world. I want to share with you what I believe to be some of the most beautiful and some of the most universal instruction ever given to the church on how to be the church, how not to forget what we're called to be. We're going to look in the book of Philippians, and the book of Philippians was originally a letter, and it was written by a guy called Paul, who at that moment actually wanted to share with the church the things that they must not forget, the things that they have to remember, the things that they need to apply themselves to. And in Philippians chapter 2, we find this beautiful chapter which finds not only what Jesus' point was, but now how the church responds. Starting in verse 12, Paul says to the church this. He says, look, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. One of the most common conversations I have with people when it comes to how do, you, how do you follow Jesus? How do you love God and love people? Often the question they ask is, what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to get to that? And, but what I find interesting about the guidance that Paul gives about being the church is he doesn't actually tell people to do a thing. He's not in the business of prescribing, I need you to study these at college, and I need you to marry this person, I need you to get this job in this city, and then we're good to go. I need you to get so much biblical knowledge in your back pocket, and then you can be the church. I need you to do something beautiful and big and brash for the church before I'll call you the church. He simply says, no, it's not in what I want you to do or even what you think you need to do. Being the church is actually more about who you are called to be not what you are called to do. And so he gives some very simple advice. Things that I think would rock the very foundation of the church if we followed them. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Just so we're clear, that's not something that was just prescribed to throw at your kids like every now and again, like in the back of the seat. Remember what Jesus said? No. He said was, imagine a church, the whole church, not being whiners. Can you imagine can you imagine the refreshment in that? Not only what we would experience, but the, what the world would experience. He says, focus on living an innocent and clean life. That's how to be the church, so that you would be as different as light is from dark. He says, to be the church isn't just be a little bit better than everyone else. 
It doesn't be a little bit happier. It doesn't be a little bit healthier. It doesn't be a little bit wealthier. It doesn't be a little bit more successful. It's not raise the kids better. It's not get the promotion. He says to be the church is I need you to have the very character of the one who leads you. I need you to be so distinct, so changed, so different that no matter the circumstances that you walk into, people will know. And by your very presence alone, you will change the world, not by what you do, but by who you are. And so we come to this crux in which Jesus' direction for the church is to be different. And for that to be our goal, for us to aspire to actually be Jesus' church. That is the challenge. That is the next step. That is the, the application to this. If we desire to be the church of Jesus Christ is that we would actually let him lead. Because here's what I know about you. As much as we might have fine aspirations to this, here's what I know. Sooner or later you're going to feel overwhelmed. Could be this afternoon. Could be around nap time. What I know about you is very soon you're going to feel overdrawn. What I know about you is in the next month you're going to feel defeated. What I know about you is in the next 17 minutes you might well be completely distracted. And what happens to the church has always happened to the church. When things are difficult, we forget who we are. We forget and we get scared. We forget and we get tired. We forget and we chase any other nice thing we could be doing rather than the one thing we were called to do. And so to be Jesus' church is not just planting the flag and saying, yes, I'm going to be. What it is is accepting that you will regularly forget and that you will regularly need to be reminded. And so the challenge of being Jesus' church is to make the room, make the space to continuously, regularly invite Jesus in to come and remind you, to allow Jesus space to come and tell you this was the purpose I called you for, not the other things, not what's overwhelming you, not what's distracting you, this. This was your mission. This was your goal. That alone, everything else is a reason that's causing you pain and frustration. This was it. This is what I came for. This is what I died for. This is what I need you to be. All he's asked of us is for us to be like him, is to pursue more Christ-likeness than ever. To show the results of our salvation means to put aspiring to obey God as the highest virtue in the church, that that's what we'd want more than anything else, that we'd want to love God and love people as we apply that more than accomplishing anything else. But what will be necessary for that to happen is Jesus showing up regularly, personally, in your life to do that. Asking you, would you do that? Asking you, will you be the church? Because that's what it means to be his church, is to actually be his. And so my challenge for you, as practicality goes, to make room for Jesus to speak into your life and to remind you, is I actually want you to read the Bible bold move, Cotton. I want you to read the Bible, and I want you to read what I think is one of the great reminders of what we're here to do and who we're here to be and how we respond. I want you to read Philippians chapter 2. I want you to read the chapter, and I want you to read it regularly. I want you to read it as far regularly as think you can read it. If you need it every other half hour because you're that forgetful, if you need it every day, you need it every week, to read it and let it remind you. Let it remind you what you're not asked to do. Let it remind you who you're not called to be and let it remind you who you are. Read who the church is. 
and then wake your kids up on a morning. Read about and let Jesus remind you who the church is, then go to work. Be reminded what we're actually here for, then make your cup of tea, or coffee if you must. Because the thing that will actually change the culture and the dynamics of the church will be as individuals who make it up go into their world and they live and they love and they give like they're actually Jesus's, like they actually belong to him, like it's actually going to be his plan, his character, and his mission that we follow. And so I challenge every single one of you not to forget. Do not forget why you are here. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity for a song of response as I invite the music team to come on up. As they do, we'll also have our prayer team down front. Our prayer team is here to be able to pray for you if there's something going on in your life specific to this conversation or not that you'd like them to pray for. Please make use of our prayer team. But I want to just pray for you in a minute here, and I want you to give yourself the time and the brain space to actually put your thoughts in order for you to take a moment to have a conversation with God too. Is if we actually want to be the church together, what's getting in the way? What am I forgetting? And how often do I need to be reminded? Let me pray for you guys. Father God, we thank you that you, you call us to something, that it is not something that any of us... Uh, get to flaunt. It's not something that we get to say that we have arrived at and are therefore done. But we get to desire to be more like Jesus. To have more love, to have more innocence, to live a clean life, <laughs> to not be whiners. So we ask that you would not give up on us. We ask that you would drive us and give us the desire to do what pleases you. God, we ask you to make of your church a people that would be known known wherever we go as being so remarkably different that you would not be able to be denied. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.